Okay, we admit it. That one is a bit of a stretch. Oliver's <laughs> army to get us into our subject this week, but it's the closest we could get, and we, we hope it works for you. Welcome. It was this, almost in the Navy. It was almost in the Navy. We thought, no, that might be a little, a little too, uh, too much frivolity for this, <laughs> for this podcast. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we are from madwolf.com, and that takes us into military horror. Kind of an interesting... I wouldn't think off the top of my head this has a lot, you know, a lot of very fertile ground for a podcast, but I would be wrong. Yeah, there's a, there is a lot of stuff. There's a lot. All right. There's some good ones. Yeah, some that some that I just didn't think of off the top of my head when I thought of military horror. But that's why you assemble these countdowns. <laughs> countdowns one... assemble. <laughs> but first off, thanks to everybody that came out last week. A lot of fun, as we always do. I uh, had a lot of fun at Fright Club Live at the Gateway Film Woo! Center. That was the Columbus premiere, which was very cool. We always love when we get those premieres. The Columbus premiere of uh, Sightseers from Ben Wheatley. Which was super fun. Thanks to a lot of thanks to everybody who came out. I think we all enjoyed it. It is an incredibly fun, funny, weird movie. Yeah. Uh, it's just a blast, and I think everybody enjoyed it. Uh, they seem to. We got some good response from people. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And now we take a different turn, as we talked about last <laughs> a hard week. hard left. A hard left at Horror Avenue. <laughs> and uh, next month, it's going to be August the 10th, right back at Gateway for Fright Club Live. And this one, you can earn your merit badge because we're going to put martyrs on the big screen and see if you can get all the way through. Not, right. a, not an easy task. No, we've been kind of ramping up to this. So uh, for Christmas, we did Inside, which is a tough movie to make it all the way through. Right. And then a couple of months ago, thank God, finally, we were able to scream The Woman, which yeah. we love. And again, not the easiest movie, but so those two, if you made it through those two, God bless you, you've made baby steps toward easily, I think, the most difficult movie to get through that we've seen. But it's a brilliant, brilliant film, so we yeah. hope you come out to see Martyrs. And it's not like we're ever going to show a Serbian film. No, we're so not, this I don't might like that be, one. Right, so this one might be one of the toughest, so that's why we're going to get some merit badges for you. And uh, record our podcast and have a lot of fun as always. So mark that down if you can make it, if you're in the Columbus area, that is August the 10th. Back at Gateway for the next edition of Fright Club Live. Now, moving on to military horror, we got a couple of recommendations from some Twitter buddies. That's right. Our old buddy, Knack Mac, Dr. Neil McRoberts, who is also, by the way, our senior Stephen King correspondent. Um, he chimed in. He was happy to see this coming up. And there, he made a couple of recommendations. He'll be happy that one of them is, is situated quite high on the list. Um, he mentioned one I'm not super fond of. And I wonder sometimes, The Keep. He recommended this. Uh, it's a Michael Mann. 1983 Ian Nazi too. Yeah, yeah, I love Ian McKellen. You know that I do. And it's actually, it's a really good cast. The film itself, you, you would find it in like nine different versions. Like it's, and, and like the one that Michael Mann approved is like three hours long. It's very sci-fi weirdness. It's just, and, and I'm sure I probably, and I know I didn't sit through the three hour version, even though I think they showed it at a, uh, the horror marathon that uh, Bruce Bartu and, and uh, that they put on at the Drexel every year. I think they the showed it last year. The, the full Michael Mann approved Ooh. version. Good for them. I gotta admit, Mac Mac, I'm sorry, I don't care for it. I don't care for the film, though I do love Ian McKellen. I, so anyway, it didn't make the list, but we're mentioning it for all of you who want to go track down. It's a Michael Mann film, you know? People love so it's him. Long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he likes that. So I'm uh, not going to make the list there, but he, uh, Dr. Neil, is excited about martyrs. And he's in England, so he's probably not going to be able to make it. No. <laughs> but, uh, 
He's uh, he's excited about the prospect, so we appreciate that. All right, so we know the keep is not going to make it, um, and we have a full, it's not fuzzy, it's a full five. Uh, so we get right to it? Yeah, let's do it. Checking in at number five in military horror from 2001, Guillermo del Toro's The Devil's Backbone. So this was almost a tie. Um, and and actually almost a tie with one that Neil had mentioned. So there, so I just want to mention there is a, a World War II supernatural horror starring Jamie Bell, who's always very good, and it's called Death Watch. Not a lot of people have seen it, and I would recommend it. But because it's a, a little bit of similar ground, you know, this supernatural weirdness kind of film. And Guillermo del Toro's really, before he made Pan's Labyrinth, to me, Devil's Backbone was his masterpiece. So it's set in a very isolated uh, orphanage in Spain after the uh, after the war, and the orphanage is run by a couple of of communist sympathizers, which means they were on the wrong side of the war, and bad things are going to happen. So there's just this sense of dread. But one of the things it does, and there and there's there's some there's a ghost, there's a ghost there, but also there's there's a lot of other things going on. What I think the movie does really well, aside from looking glorious. Without being sort of cloying or heavy-handed, it it kind of it gives you a child's perspective in the in the sense that sort of war, religion, ghosts, bullies—they all make the same sense to a child. They're all equally incomprehensible, and yet you accept them. I mean, and I think that what he does really well is weave those ideas together. That if a kid could accept that this war had happened, right? Then a kid could accept that there's a ghost in the place and and it's just and it's an and but also the performances are magnificent. It's really 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 well put together and it's just a movie that I love. Yeah, and also not just war, but there's an entire case to be made that the ghost Jacinto in his very being in in the movie could be a metaphor for fascism itself. Sure. Uh, and saying that fascism will just occur time and again throughout history as a ghost keeps coming back. Um, so that's, you know, you, you can see that uh, as far as a political statement uh, in this movie. And he's referred to this, uh, Del Toro has referred to this as a sibling film to Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, I could definitely see that yeah. because, again, it's set. There's a very military element to Pan's yeah. Labyrinth and uh, like a proletariat sort of side yes. versus. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. And, and a child at the center and a child who's making sense of it all in the same way. Yeah. And you talked about how it looks. Yeah, it's very creepy. And it's easy to see that the design of the ghost was inspired by the white faced spirits of the Japanese horror, like yeah. Ringu yeah. and things like that. Very reminiscent. But. He makes it look, you, you see the film and it's very easy to say that's a Del Toro film. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And one of the things that, that he does so well, so interesting about this ghost, right? So the little boy had drowned and so he's kind of waterlogged and blood, everything floats away from him. I mean, it's so creepy. And yet, and yet there's something so tender and, and, and sad about the, the ghost that it's hard to be afraid of him at the same time you are. It's really incredibly well done, and I can't say enough about the performances, um, not just from the children, but from the from the leads, uh, a lot of whom you see in, in other Del Toro films, like uh, Federico Lupi, who's also in, in Kronos. It's just incredibly well done, and, and I think maybe a bit of a slow boil for some people who are really like, you know, horror aficionados, but it's a great movie. Yeah, and it's a very cool moment in the film when Jacinto, he's looking through his own file from the orphanage, and he sees that blurry face photo and says, this is me as a baby. Uh, you can't see my face because it's blurred, but I know it's me. You know that's a very uh, telling moment in in the story and what the and what metaphors are going on in this movie. 
And it's one that took a long time. Apparently, Del Toro said this took like 16 years to get developed and get made. Well, you know, it's early enough in his career that he really didn't have a lot of clout yeah. to get it done. Um, and, you know, it's good for him that it, it got done because it really was the film that propelled him globally. You know, Kronos had been popular, uh, but but internationally, not so much. Although it's a great movie, it's and it is a very interesting movie, but it's quirky and much. It just doesn't have the same impact as this film. And, you know, you talk about the metaphors. There's an unexploded bomb in the in the middle of of the yard of the orphanage, almost like where you would find a swing set. And 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 it. It itself is, I think, the most compelling metaphor for the entire film. I mean, but, you know, he was a young man when he made this and he wrote it and directed it. And and it just it just speaks volumes about his ability to create a mood, if nothing else. He, you know, it's it's really an incredibly great movie. Yeah. And really, there's a double meaning going on in the title itself, because the devil's backbone is kind of a slang term for the condition of spina bifida. Sure. But yet you can also see it how the devil is is propped up by these themes and the things that cause war. Yeah. So it's kind of a double meaning there as well. Mm. But the, yeah, very cool film. And that's number five in our military horror, The Devil's Backbone. Moving up to number four, one of my favorites. And it's actually been done twice. And we'll talk about one more than the other and we'll tell you why. From 1973 and from 2010, The Crazies. trouble is he dead david there's somebody outside military started shooting town folk we gotta get out of here guys yeah the original of course george romero from 73 and we won't talk about that one too much because next week our topic, our entire topic is George Romero. That's so, right. So uh, we'll let that one go a little bit and focus on the 2010 remake, which I really liked, even though it's about the only great good film that uh, Breck Eisner has done so far, the uh, remake in 2010 of The Crazies. And I remember going to see it. I'll be honest, I didn't really expect too much, and I really liked it. And I think I posted, might have been before we had our own movie review site when we were writing for the, for the Other paper. paper. Mm-hmm before we uh, branched off online. But anyway, I just posted that uh, I liked it, and I got a couple comments of people that thought I was kidding. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, no, I really, really enjoyed this yeah. one. It's effective, it's well done, it's creepy, it's well acted, and uh, yeah, it's good stuff. It absolutely is, and and like you, uh, I had low expectations. But it's got a great cast. Uh, Timothy Oliphant, always good, right? Rada Mitchell is, is very, she's very good in everything, and um, they do a really nice job. And they're, you know, to me, it's like if you take if you take the remake and the original, kind of mash them together in bits, you've got the perfect film. Because I think Romero goes a little bit off the rails in the first one, although he he does a couple of things really, really weirdly well. And so if you're not that familiar with with um, the film, a chemical is accidentally released into the water supply of a small town and it turns people crazy they all they all just lose their minds and um and it's a fascinating idea and it's very much sort of along the lines of a zombie film right because you don't you don't know who is and who isn't um and uh and what's interesting is the idea of the individualism of insanity which i think is fascinating and actually i think it's better explored in the remake than in the original movie yeah some people who just are you know, old women who are just crazy and riding their tricycles now, you know. And then in the original, I think the most provocative is this father-daughter who decide that they want to have sex with each other, which is really awkward. 
And in the remake, you know, of course, you've got people who who just turn bloodthirsty. And and it's it's really in both films, that element of it, I think, is what sets the film apart a little bit in a way from other sort of either infestation movies or or zombie type films uh, that makes it really interesting and fascinating. And I want to point out that there are like a hundred George Romero movies that could have made this list because he really has a preoccupation with how the military can corrupt, be a corruptive force. And um, and I chose the crazies because of them all, of the ones of his that have a military bent, I think that the crazies is the most interesting. You talk about the woman on the bicycle. That's the, the bridge between the two movies yep, because yep. The, the scene with the, the creepy woman on the bicycle in the remake is actress Lynn Lowry. And she was in, of course, the original. She was, yes. And that's just a creepy image, too. It is, She's yeah. just riding through on a bicycle. Uh, there's so many creepy moments in this film. But you mentioned the cast. And I think a movie like this calls to mind how much an effective horror movie can really be elevated by the cast yeah. and, and by the performances. Because a lot of times you think of just horror movies, well, as long as I'm scared. But when you get really solid performances like this, mm-hmm. I mean, it really elevates. And Timothy Oliphant, like you said, is always good. And he he's great good. in this. Yes, That opening scene the baseball the, the, game. at the baseball game is so great. He it just is. slowly wanders out there and is just... Checking this guy out, who he knows. He's obviously a town's yeah. t- t- town guy that they know each some other. Some farmer. Yeah, some farm guy. And he's like, what? Drop the gun? Yeah, and how it slowly escalates. I love that whole scene. And that's what got me from the beginning of the movie. I'm okay. I'm into this. There are moments along the way that it starts to get a little, uh, And I don't know about the, the ending, uh, how much it totally works. Maybe it's a bit of a cop-out. But still, I like it. I like the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, to be honest, I think the, the ending, uh, Romero's ending, is more cynical and I think has more punch because it is basically inevitable what happens in Romero's ending. Yeah. And um, and also at the same time, just gut-wrenching, right? So I, I do prefer, I think Romero, uh, he didn't pull any punches with his ending, and I appreciate that. Um, and, and also I think that um, there are a couple of performances and, and from, from actors who you'll see in a lot of Romero's films in the first one that I, I, I just kind of, I think I would have liked to see a little bit more overlap between the two i think i would have liked to see eisner call back romero a little bit more might have made his a little more fun Mm -hmm. but i think it's the military angle in two ways one is that they caused the problem in the first place and the second is that their idea of taking care of the problem is as mercenary as it can be right and but at the same time like in a lot of sort of infestation type films you realize if you put yourself in the place as you as you do because usually the vehicle through the film is one of the one of the people who are in jeopardy. You want to survive this. You want to get out of here. You're rooting for them. But on the other hand, as cold as it is, mm-hmm. if you look up and you think, even though they're the cause of it, if they don't completely annihilate this problem, it's then s- it's just going to become right. global. So I always think that that is an interesting tension mm-hmm. in films like this that choose wisely not to just take one side. And also, this might not have been the first movie, but it was one of the first to do the whole Take a popular song, slow it down, and make it creepy. The remake, yeah. Uh, because they use Tears for Fears' Mad World. Slow it down. A guy named Gary Jules uh, does it for this movie and make it really creepy. And it fit It fit the movie so well. And since then, it seems like everybody does yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tired now. But yeah, the, it's, it's really well. It, I mean, it, because the original movie, excuse me, the, the Tears for Fears song is, is much more upbeat. And it's sort of a, just a commentary on how people just have gone, you know, society's just gone mad. But, but when they slow it down like that, it's, it's really very effective. I actually much prefer the, the remake version of the song. In fact, I just saw this 
trailer for Suicide Squad, and they do it. They use uh, Leslie Gore's uh, "You Don't Own Me," <laughs> and which was kind of slow anyway. But they're trying to make it creepy yeah. for this. You know, don't tell me what to do. Um, so yeah, that vehicle is kind of for me like okay, tired. yeah, a little bit tired. But this was one of the first movies that I remember noticing it, and I thought it really set a great, great mood. And that is number four on our military horror countdown: the crazies from both '73 and 2010. And again, we'll talk about. Romero's version more next maybe, week. Maybe. Maybe we'll make a list. You don't know. All right. Spoiler alert. <laughs> no, that's up to you. Okay, moving up to number three. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but it's one that a lot of people have a lot of love for. I don't know if I completely share that love, but it's number three, and it's Jacob's Ladder from 1990. Every day, Jacob Singer goes to work, and every day he wonders what is happening to him. They're like demons. Now look at your hand. You have a very strange line. See, according to this, you're already dead. Where are you taking me? Where am I? Where do you want to go? Home. This is your home. You're dead. I'm not dead. What are you then? I'm alive. feel like this one had to be on our best horror of the 90s podcast because we did those probably a year ago at least but okay this is you know it's it's an interesting film adrian lynn directed it and he's a weird director he's an interesting director and one of the things um that i like about it so it kind of combines not exactly supernatural horror but sort of the idea of heaven and hell which is which is really common in horror films we'll do totally do a podcast on that one these days and military horror together because really the to a certain degree, the entire film, the guy is probably either work. He, he may be in hell the whole film. He may just be in hell during mm-hmm. the entire film. Um, and I don't think I think one of the things that's effective about it is it doesn't ever really ground you. It doesn't say definitively, no, this is what's going on right now. And I, and I love that because it doesn't oversimplify and it and it doesn't, you know, tidy things up exactly. But at the same time, which I think is the is the interesting feat. It manages to make the whole thing work without without doing that, without just sort of signing at the end. This is what you've just seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually the screenwriter, uh, Bruce Rubin, uh, is a Buddhist. And the entire film is a loose interpretation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, you can see that there are themes about suffering. And Jacob's release comes when he accepts the reality of his situation. Therefore, if you accept it, you're not really suffering. There's that kind of theme going on here. because he has to go through some very hellish situations. And, you know, to the film's credit, they look creepy. I mean, like the guys with no eyes oh, yeah. and things like that. Oh, yeah. uh, there are you some very hellish, almost Hieronymus Bosch-like images, really. Yeah, but you know what's funny about that is uh, for it to be sort of a Buddhist-type film, it's very definitely Christian imagery, right down to the title, Jacob's Ladder. I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah, very... Yeah. And, and Jezebel is the name of of the girlfriend who's really great. Elizabeth, or, or Pena. Pena. Elizabeth uh-huh. Pena is great in this movie. Tim Robbins is magnificent in this movie. The whole cast is great, and it's so... It's so sad at the same time as everything else. And again, if you're not really familiar with the movie, uh, you know, it's it's Tim Robbins plays a divorced father who's who is a Vietnam vet. And he's now a mailman with back injury who's living with a girlfriend in New York City. And he's estranged from his family and he's having these terrible back problems. And and, and uh, at the same time, he's having these weird images and people from his platoon in Vietnam are, are dying. So they're all trying to get together, figure out what's going on. And at the end, you realize it, it, it has a lot more to do with what happened to his platoon in Vietnam than it has to do with anything else that he thinks it does. So you've got this 
you know, this sort of Vietnam conspiracy paranoia that was very, very popular in the late 80s and early 90s that influences the film. Um, and and it, but but like you said, George, the it's not it's definitely not a slasher. It's not a super bloody. It's not a horror movie. It is. But it's not like one of those very, you know, the genre is stamped right on it. On the other hand, the creepy stuff that you see will stick around with you. I mean, it's it's oh, yeah. different. Um, it's it's effective. And I think it's like the blending of all these sort of ideas and concepts that make it maybe resonate more because whether it's sort of your paranoia of the military or whether it's your sort of fear of hell or whatever it is, right. That, that, that you just, your own primal fears, it kind of is going to tap into that in one way or another because of the way it blends these elements. Yeah. And it's a comment specifically, uh, not just war, but Vietnam vets specifically and what they had to endure, especially the rumors that U S troops were given hallucinogens on purpose to see if they would increase their combat abilities. That was always the rumor about certain drugs. In fact, they mentioned a drug named BZ, which uh, was rumored to have, it was a NATO code for an hallucinogen uh, that was rumored to have been given. So, you know, there's lots of things, different things that uh, Vietnam vets had to endure. Uh, And this is a comment on that as well. And um, yeah, they're very, very hellish set pieces. And one of them, it's it's interesting, uh, at least according to Adrian Lin, he gets comments. He's mentioned that he has gotten comments through the years from chiropractors who compliment on him on getting it right. And, accor- and according to him, through those chiropractor scenes, he had chiropractors on set to try to make sure it was authentic. And at least in his words, he gets complimented on that. That's interesting because so Danny Aiello is the chiropractor yeah. and is, you know, the way it's filmed, the way they show him kind of the music that's in the back, he's kind of positioned as this angel, you know, in the film. And I love that particularly because Adrian Lynn, and I'm not dissing him as a director, but he's very, he's, his films are very sexual. Yes. And he, he definitely is very interested in the female form. So I thought it was for me, when I watched it the first time, I thought it was an interesting change of pace to have it be this sort of, frumpy, overweight, middle-aged man who represents the angel, the angelic force. I really I really appreciated that. And again, uh, in a lot of Adrian Lin's films, I don't particularly care for the way he uses sexuality, but Elizabeth Pena is just awesome. She's just great in this movie, and she's never one-dimensional, but she's frustrating, but she's not a bad person. I mean, I think that that would be a tough role, and she nails it. And apparently she was, the, there were a lot of big actresses at the time that were going for this role. And apparently she was the very first one to audition. Wow. Uh, and after uh, he went through all these other actresses, went back to her. So I agree. Yeah, she's very good. And um, apparently, too, the first audiences, the test audiences that saw this, thought it was just too overwhelming. So Lynn went back and cut out like 20 minutes wow. of material to kind of bring it down a little bit. It was just too much. Wow. Too much for people. So there are some definitely some hellish, hellish sequences. And it's number three on our list of military horror. You mentioned the cast. I had to mention that it includes both Ving Rhames is in this mm-hmm. and Jason Alexander, which is funny because there, true. there's that one scene between Tim Robbins, who's six five and Jason Alexander, who is not. And <laughs> Lynn has them like on stairs yeah. because that would have been funny. Yeah, that would have been. And also, of course, the very young Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Don't forget that. So Jacob's Ladder, number three from 1990. Number two, one of our favorites. Made many a countdown here on the Fright Club, and it is from 2002 Neil Marshall's Dog Soldiers. Come on! Absolutely brilliant. Thrilling. Mind your tongue! Exciting. <laughs> Scary. I don't scare that easy. And funny. I'm sold. A horror 
filled with fire. You what? Sarge! I'm in the party! Bitch of a werewolf movie. My dad! Dog soldiers. It'll blow your house down. Who doesn't love a good werewolf movie? Good werewolf military movie. That could be that. That's a very specific podcast. That that might be the only the only movie in, included in well, that. Well, there'd countdown. be the short werewolf women of the SS. That's right. <laughs> which which is awesome. Manchu. Oh, how great was that? I want to see that. I want to see that made. But yeah, um, we've talked about this before, and one of the things we always bring up was that okay, give it a break. The effects aren't that great, but you know what? Sure, the budget was part of that, but also they Marshall kind of believed that at that point, and still today, CGI was just being overused, and he thought it would take viewers out of the movie because they'd be focused on how the special effects looked rather than the story. So the werewolves are animatronics and people in suits and stilts and things like that. So I guess you can see that from a filmmaking standpoint, but looking at it today, it, it's, a little, it's a little rough. I mean, you can tell. Uh, but that doesn't take away from the, the tension. I think in the film at all. No, I think you're right. And, and it's, again, it's, you know, uh, I go back to it because I think it, it struck me as I was putting this together that a lot of military horror really overlaps with zombie films. And, and it, it, because I think it's just the idea of you're about to be overrun by an enemy. And then, and so this movie has very much at the end. Uh, so it starts off there. Uh, they're uh, doing like um, exercises, right? This military unit, they're doing exercises and they stumble across out, you know, out in the, you know, very, very isolated woods yeah. and mountains, uh, some werewolves. And they wind up, uh, a lot of them are injured. A lot of them are very, very dead, like super duper dead. And they wind up sort of holing up inside this woman's house. So it's got that, you know, Alamo sort of thing about it, right? They're trapped. Some of them are injured. We know what that means. And then, and then they're trying to strategize against a, a smaller number of enemies, but a much, much scarier enemy than they are. Um, And what I want to really point, Liam Cunningham, uh, who is, he was this, you know, one of the superior officers. He's now injured. You can tell he's not a great guy to begin with. And so it's, so he's kind of the, um, you know, uh, the, the, the guy who's going to switch sides, basically the whole film, even when it becomes a monster movie is such, is such a military film from beginning to end. It's just the, what they, instead of having somebody like switch sides, become a traitor, it, it, you know, the, it's the same metaphor. It's just that it's, it's, you know, lycanthropy. It's so interesting. Well, and everything you mentioned, it's not, it's not just has an Alamo feel. You know what else it has a feel? It has an evil dead feel. Well, of course it does. As they're out there. And the one character is named Bruce Campbell, yeah. which is awesome. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's very precise in the things that they do. In fact, in the one scene, uh, the Sergeant Wells tells Cooper, get a position, I'll be on the move, and I want to be on the move in three minutes, and exactly three minutes <laughs> later in the movie. So it's got that precision. They're doing these maneuvers in right. a very militaristic fashion. You're right. And uh, it's funny, Jason Statham was originally uh, the top uh, the top uh, in consideration to play the part of Cooper, mm. but he backed out to do John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Oh. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I love Jason Statham so much better now after Spy. Yeah. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I okay, agree. Jason Statham. But, uh, <laughs> no, you're right. It's very, very militaristic. And the way, you know, you, you feel that the approaching werewolves are like an approaching army. And they're, they're yeah, being exactly. outflanked, yes. and, so to speak. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, and, and I, it, you know, which, it's, again, I mean, it, just like the Evil Dead, it, I mean, it, it makes you realize 
how how much horror borrows from actual like military films or vice versa because and and, and I think it makes it makes it seem funny to me that there aren't more strictly specifically military type horror films because they obviously everything about war is absolutely horrific terrifying and um and also because there is so much crossover in the the type of action sequences that you can set up and and the way that you build tension and i think that this one does it more overtly um uh, sort of blending the two than than maybe anything else and was this the one was this uh right before the descent for neil marshall yes nice you can see he kind of Evolved a little bit his skill. His yeah. skill evolved a little and bit. The budget and, oh, and yeah. everything. Yeah. Uh, well, I would say the descent probably. I mean, you know, the if you if you the location of I would have to think that all those location shots for for dog soldiers had to cost some cash because they were gorgeous, like gorgeous aerials of the you know the the hills and the wilderness mm-hmm. and, and everything. Really, really nicely done and a, and a pretty big cast actually. Um, and and I think one of the things I love about dog soldiers that he hasn't really carried through as much in the rest of his films is there's just very funny i mean it's it, there's a there's a real not even dark humor there's just a real humor throughout this and i guess if the accents weren't so completely impenetrable i might have <laughs> laughed more <laughs> i don't know what he was saying but i bet it was funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we love that dog soldiers from 2002 and it's number two in our top five military horror films and that saves room at the top for just one, you might have guessed it by now, and that is 28 Days Later, also from 2002. Good year. So who are you? Wake up today in hospital. Wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected. Father. Infected with news. Oh, shouldn't have done that. There's something in the blood. To leave now. More Yeah, I don't know if you've ever listened to us before. You might be aware that I really love this movie. I love this movie, and and it's it's really uncommon for a film to come out. And before I see it in the theaters, I kind of dread seeing it in the theaters because I'm afraid it's going to scare me. Uh-huh. Which is you know usually is what I'm looking for. But I remember just thinking like, ah, this one's going to just kill me. And um, you know, and it's a it's a zombie movie without zombies. And uh, um, which I thought was really fascinating because while it had become it had become the thing to have zombies run, even Romero says zombies can't run. They're dead. Right. Well, 28 days later, very effectively fixed that they're not dead. They're just infected and, and infected and, and zombie is very similar. Right. And the infection was scary. And but I mean, there is so much Romero in this movie and so much of the crazies actually in this movie in that what they're trying to do is 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 you know the survivors are trying to get to a safe place so obviously they're going to follow this beacon that the military has put out and as as you know Romero has made plain again and again and again military cannot be trusted right and the whole approach of the film you look right at the top the director Danny Boyle yes. the, the writer Alex Garland if you don't know who that is, by the way, he wrote and directed Ex Machina last year, which is brilliant. Yeah, and he also did, um, is it Never, the one about the clones that we saw in Toronto, uh, Never Let Me Down? Yes, Something. I always forget the name of that. Uh, good, not as good as Ex Machina, but worth checking out. Anyway, what I'm saying is talent, talent at the top here. And they got together and they thought basically that the notion of, you know, the zombie, the living dead eating people's brains was outdated. Sure. Okay. They wanted to take that and they kind of give it a different feel. and 
And they thought that at the time, in the early aughts, 2000s, uh, one of the biggest fears in the society was the fear of disease, such as Ebola. We mm-hmm, heard a lot about mm-hmm. that. So they, they, took, they took that theme and specifically inspired by incidents as, as anthrax and the bioterrorism scares sure. and went down that road to give it that same genesis from the zombie movies, but a totally different, much more relatable right. uh, feel. Yeah. And boy, it, you're right, it works so well. Well, you know, and then when you talk about talent, it then it just goes, you know, farther down right so first of all brendan gleason he is such a great actor he's always always good. brilliant always in good. everything always and he's so good in this movie and and killian murphy who is great and then i was not familiar before this film with naomi harris who's gone on to me and she now she's in all the james bond movies but she's also really good and as we sure. mentioned in like our we had uh she made a kick-ass i forget i should one of our podcasts about kick-asses she's on it because she is she is such a believable badass in this movie and you realize one of the things i love about it is first of all she's the reason that the survivors survive as long as they do they don't point that out they're not saying hey we've got a woman not only that a black woman and she's but you know it just happens Mm -hmm. which makes it much more naturalistic and, and less sort of patronizing but the other thing is that then it's turned on its heel when the military because the basically when they find the military group the military if you look around right there aren't any other women survivors. Right. And there's a lot of guys in the military. And so there's Naomi Harris, and then there's a, a little girl, like a 14-year-old girl. And, you know, even though it's very scary, I found it very scary. It made me very uneasy, right? But the other thing is you're like, I don't know, man. She has killed a lot of people coming in here. I mean, I know you got guns, but so it's, um, I don't know. It's just really effortless in its ability to keep tensions very high. Yeah, and when they catch up with Selena. She's obviously much more experienced in what's going on here. Right. And part of that was an entire backstory that Danny Boyle and Naomi Harris concocted for her character. And in the backstory, she was forced to kill her infected mother and father to save her baby brother, only to discover that her brother was infected as well. So that's an entire backstory that hardened sure. hardened that character, yeah. and she was taking no BS from anyone. No. She hacks that dude. As, yeah, as the guy soon. who you know had been her partner up until they find Killian Murphy, right? And and uh, this and he was like, you can see this look of terror nope. on his face because nope. he knows it's coming. And nope. yeah, she just hacks him to the ground right in front of Killian Murphy, yeah. so he realizes. But that's the thing, right? If that's her backstory, there's no sentimentality no. left. She was taking no mess. No. She's been through it. Yeah. And you mentioned the scene about the very, very chilling scene where Major West reveals what he has planned for the yeah, women. Yeah. Now, that whole scene, that was very, that's touch and go on how you present a scene like that. And it was apparently totally rewritten by Killian Murphy, Christopher Eccleston, and Alex Garland the night before they shot it. Nice. A whole different scene had been scripted. Nobody was happy with it. And they redid the whole thing. And because I think you'd have to agree, that's a scene that you have to get right. Yeah. Or it can oh, be. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and one uh, of the things that's fascinating, Christopher Eccleston's character, even though he's, He's the lead of this military unit that is about to do something so heinous, and yet you sort of sympathize with him. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, my men are all going to kill themselves. They've started killing themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like th- his decision is twisted and wrong, but the way he presents it, he's like, empathize with me. What else was I going to do? I mean, it's it's creepy, but effective. He's great in this movie. Yeah, and I don't want to say too much about the Walking Dead, because I have to admit, I've only watched one episode uh, <laughs> because we just not not a slam on it. No, we just no, we don't just have don't, time no, to watch, watch TV. TV. We're watching movies. But 
I will say the one episode I saw, I immediately thought 28 days later. Yeah, it was very early in the series. Yeah, it was absolutely very much like the Killian. Yeah, when, when he wakes up in the hospital. Yeah, sure. So I don't know if that's still the case, but I know people love that uh, TV show. And I'm sure it's good. Not yeah, we're not. It. No, we're not. We just don't have time to watch it. But uh, And there's a lot of question about whether or not the survivors got rescued. And there's a clue to that at the very end because the pilot of the plane is speaking Finnish on the radio. And the very last words he says translate to, Will you send a helicopter? Mm. Which kind of is a clue to they they probably got rescued. But it leaves it a little bit open-ended. Yeah, a lot of people complained about the end, and I liked it. Because, you know, I, I mean, because, again, one of the things that's really brilliant about this is, unlike zombies, right, these are people, and they're not bothered to feeding themselves because they're just rage is all they know. So, you know what? Just keep away from them long enough, they're going to die. <laughs> so I like that about this. And then, um, I, you know, I should throw in there that there is a sequel that's a pr- very, it's a decent sequel. Right, twenty-eight weeks later, yeah, and it and it's it and it's also very obviously military, probably even more military because most of the lead actors, lead characters, are in fact in the military, and it's it's worth checking out. It is a very uh, pale comparison to the original, but it's still actually a decent film with a really good cast. Yeah. So number one on our top five military horror, twenty-eight days later from two thousand two. All right, chime in. Do we miss something? Should the keep be in there in all its three-hour glory? Uh, let us know at Mad Wolf. Hit us up. M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, also Mad Wolf Columbus on our Facebook page. Or you can always go through the fine folks at Golden Spiral Media. You know, uh, while you're com over as there, well. yeah, while you're over there, you should check out some of our uh, the other podcasts there. They have I, they have The Walking Dead. They have all kinds of oh, podcasts yeah, over there. They're all so, over The Walking Dead. And, of course, Dead. our senior Aussie sport correspondent, Corey Metcalf, has two, I think, over there, including Tropicast, which we love. Yeah, really, if you're a TV fan, which, again, we don't know. Anything about TV. Because we don't have time because we watch movies every day. Don't judge us. I know there are a lot of great shows out there. I know there are. And if you're a fan of any of them, check out Golden Spiral Media because they are bound to have a podcast about these shows. Yeah, with some really great, talented people doing those. So, yeah, do that. And the other podcast you can check out, George, is what? It is the Screening Room Podcast, our brand new podcast, talking about the new movies of the week, the new things that are streaming on Netflix and what have you. This week we talk about, of course, the new Star Trek. We talk about Lights Out, which is a scary movie with, eh. Yeah. Uh, and also Ab Fab, absolutely fabulous, the movie. So that's at thescreeningroompodcast.com. So check us out there as well. And then one other thing, and just a quick plug, if you get the opportunity, if you want to watch a scary movie, especially on the weekends, check out screenrelish.com. Every Saturday I post a recommendation in the Saturday Screamer of just a movie that you might have missed that you should be watching. But then you can find our Reviews of regular movies. You can find a lot of entertainment news, a lot of great stuff on ScreenRelish.com. So much to check out. But by all means, uh, hit us up and keep the conversation going at Mad Wolf on Twitter. All right. So uh, next week, we're back with George Romero. That's right. And one of the reasons that that's really convenient is because at the same time that I'm talking about him, I can field everybody's complaints that Day of the Dead did not make this list. There you go. You're always (laughs) thinking. And again, mark it down. If you can make it, August 10th, we're going to be at the Gateway Film Center. It's our next edition of Fright Club Live. We're going to make you earn your merit badge for watching Martyrs on the big screen. Going to be good. All right. So until then, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. All of the zombies here to stay. All of the zombies.